so there are three four questions and they are quite interconnected which we'll take it up two of them are very interesting one is of course uh, um, i'm very surprised that this is the first time someone has asked this question in so many years but it's a very interesting question whether shurbindo's yoga is some kind of a hinduism or an extension of hinduism and the second is of course about mother and shurbindo's life and actually the two are interconnected because we cannot separate one from the other as we shall see the question sounds very simple and direct but it's quite subtle it has many ramifications and so perhaps the best way to answer is is to speak a little bit about shurbindo's life and then leave each one of us to decide for ourselves as some of us may know and uh, some of us may not some who are very new at a very young age of 7 shurbindo was sent from darjeeling in india to the uk for studies where he studied for uh, nearly 14 years completing his graduation at cambridge ics at cambridge and he did very well he was um, regarded as among the most brilliant student his father had wanted him to keep away from any exposure to indian culture because he felt that it is inferior uh, well this was a kind of indoctrination if one may say so but he tried his best to keep him away much like the buddha whose father tried to keep him away from anything that may disturb the little prince's idea about life he was shown only the beautiful side of life and shurbindo was exposed only to the rising sun or the risen sun of england so much so that at one point of time his um, caretaker they even baptized shurbindo took him to the church where he was christened as aurobindo acroid ghosh now all this carried on and there shurbindo mastered greek latin spanish english of course among many other things but remained largely alien to the indian culture this is the first part but when he comes back to india he has a series of experiences which lead him to a deeper study of indian thought and very few probably would have surmised how deep he is going to go into that some of his key experiences for instance one while walking on the seat of solomon in kashmir he described it as the advaita experience of the vacant infinite another while he is looking at the image of kali he suddenly has the experience of the world mother similarly in saras bag in pune which also he has immortalized in his poem that on a stairway as he climbs and sees the stone goddess actually it is the image of parvati and he has another experience 
So experiences came flowing into him. He also practiced certain aspects of Indian yoga, pranayama for instance, six to eight hours a day for many months, not what we call as pranayama, and discovered that it led to an intense flow of creativity, poetries, lines after lines would flow. There were certain changes also in his physical uh, being which he noticed, but it didn't take him beyond that. So, then at one point of time in his life, there came more and more the presence of Sri Krishna, and Shurabindo would uh, several times refer to it, and to in a letter to one of his disciples, he even says that. There was a great role that Krishna played in my own life and yoga. And also his identification grew with Sri Krishna's counterpart in the evolutionary play that is Kali. So much so that Sri would many times sign off his letters as Kali. He would write at the end Kali, not his name and this was one side of it. In the course of his yoga some key experiences, for instance, of Nirvana came while uh, Vishnu Bhaskar Lele, a yogi from more of a bhakti tradition, he came and within three days, Sri had completely experienced the silent consciousness and the Nirvana, which otherwise comes after probably many lives, not just years of rigorous practice. And then we also know that while he was in the Alipur jail, he had second major experience and he, he had this experience of Vasudevam Sarvamiti, what is described in the Gita as the rarest of rare experiences, where he saw Vasudeva in the food he was eating, Vasudeva in the bowl, Vasudeva in the bars of the cell, prison cell, Vasudeva in the blanket, Vasudeva in the tree, Vasudeva in the jailers, Vasudev in the uh, advocate who was fighting for him and Vasudeva in the advocate who was fighting against him and Vasudeva in the judge and Vasudeva everywhere and the mother has spoken of this experience he said it is the supramental experience but he used the word Narayana Vasudeva because of a certain background this is another major experience that we see in Shurabindu's life while he was in jail, he had many other experiences which actually belong in a certain sense to the tradition of Hindu life and experience, yogic experience. For instance, one of the things, one of the two slokas which was very dear to him, which he would often recite in the jail, are from the Isha Upanishad. And Sri would later on say that Isha Upanishad lays the foundations of the divine life. You are talking about the divine life and its first glimpse is there in the Isha Upanishad. So he speaks about it. He of course also studied the Upanishads and later on the Vedas. The Vedas because he started having a series of psychological experiences including visitations of the gods, the goddesses and scripts coming in front of him, the etheric scripts, the mantras etc., and he found their confirmation in the Vedas. So it's very interesting that when he read the Vedas, he said, oh, here is an explanation to all that I am experiencing. It's not that he studied the Vedas and then had these experiences. 
and uh, subsequently of course uh, we also know that from 1914 to 1919 shirobindo started expressing his thoughts after the mother's coming first time when she came uh, in the form of a journal which he named as arya and then he explained why he has called it the arya because arya is a word which is very much indian and in india the noble the shresth the highest type of humanity was regarded as arya it was not a racial term so he had to explain to the audience that why he has used the term arya and who is an arya and he explains the arya is not a geographical type but a psychological type of humanity and whoever tries to exceed himself and climb the hills of knowledge and wisdom and is strong enough to fight against the darkness that surrounds us the darkness of ignorance and unconsciousness is an aryan so he spoke about it way back and then among his major works or things which were serialized in the arya we see his translations and some commentaries on the principal upanishads and then he speaks about the secret of the vedas which has a very interesting history shobindo at one place mentions that shri krishna came to me as we know he had a very intimate relation with shri krishna and placed the geeta in my hands and the strength of the geeta entered into my being and then i realized the eternal truths of sanatan dharma so he speaks about that as soon as he came out of the jail he had given this famous speech called uttar pada speech where he speaks about the truth of sanatan dharma and shri krishna also gave him a new nirukta which helped him in decoding the secret of the vedas so secret of the vedas was uh, his commentary is not a commentary purely based on grammar but a commentary which flows directly from his experience and from a new understanding of the vedas based on the nirukta given to him by shri krishna himself these are in shurbindo's words nothing is uh, mine in this and apart from upanishad and the vedas we know that he wrote the commentary on essays on the gita and the mother said that gita has already been a very important scripture in terms of helping humanity free itself from ignorance and with this new commentary given by shurabindo new interpretation its action has become even more powerful so this with this background shurabindo writes in the synthesis of yoga that our yoga starts from the method of the vedanta and to fulfill the aim of the tantra so now he brings a new element in his dimension in his yoga that is he brings in not only vedantic thought but also tantra in a famous letter of his uh, he speaks about the vedantic idea um, this letter also this letter is to maharani of baroda where he says that uh, shobindo's teaching starts from the ancient teaching of vedanta of the one reality behind all things so this is the vedantic aspect of the teaching but here one must make clear that shobindo's understanding of the vedanta and his experience his interpretation is not same as shankara's and subsequent interpretations of the vedanta which speak about the world as an illusion shobindo on the contrary says the world is a distortion not an illusion it is illusion only in the sense that it doesn't 
fully represent the reality which is hiding behind it. So there is a reality which is expressing itself through the world, not standing aloof away from the world. It is trying to express and yet the expression is distorted and therefore it should become a perfect expression. So herein, Shobindo begins to differentiate his yoga from the traditional Vedantic yoga. In the traditional Vedantic yoga, there is creation, which is basically a movement of Prakriti. Uh, there are many kinds of philosophical understanding of it, the Prakriti uh, playing in the consciousness of the Purusha. And let's not go into it. Philosophy is um, all right for, you know... Uh, losing our head, but not for walking the path. So uh, it's, it's uh, one side of it. But if there are questions, we can talk about it. But uh, he says that this reality is not just a passive reality, not just a witness, but a dynamic reality expressing itself through nature, through creation. So herein comes the tantra element. And we see a large portion of tantra in his yoga also. For instance, worship of the Divine Mother, it's directly from the tantra. His famous letter on the four aspects of the Divine Mother and the four names he gives, Maheshwari, Mahakali, Mahalakshmi, Mahasaraswati, we know are from the Chandi. Those who are familiar with Chandi would know that, recognize that these are the four names of the Divine Mother given in the Chandi. And uh, we have already spoken about Kali. And Sri had many, many kinds of experiences with many of these beings. And that's how his sadhana proceeded. But having said that, Sri did go beyond the traditional understanding of Hinduism. I am not even speaking of the ritualistic side. The ritualistic side of any religion is temporal. It's not something eternal or permanent. It is bound to go away, whether in Hinduism or any other religion. Because rituals and by rituals I mean a strictly external kind of living in which religion begins to fossilize itself. But the core of Hinduism, he said, has something very deep, very profound, very vast and it is still continues to pay service to mankind. That is how he saw Hinduism. And uh, from that we may say that Sri new idea sprang up from its roots but went way ahead, much further. We also know that in, in the jails, Shurabindo had uh, visitation by Swami Vivekananda, most probably his mental body, as Shurabindo says later on. And he is the one who showed him the way to the supermind. Shurabindo acknowledges that. So there are many, many kinds of um, touches of both Hindu experience and Hindu thought in Shurabindo's yoga and writings. And then his yoga extends. Now, where does it extend and where does it begin to differentiate itself? Well, in traditional Hindu thought and experience as it is understood today, I wouldn't say that as it was understood in the age of the Vedas. Because in the age of the Vedas, the Vedic rishis did speak about um, the fullness of the manifestation, trying to make the heaven and earth equal and one. But over a period of time, it became very otherworldly. And Shobindo once again sets the clock right and says, um, as far as I am concerned, I cannot make a distinction between this worldly and otherworldly because for me both experiences came together. Um, most of his major experiences were while he was in the middle of life. For instance, in Barodra, the famous experience of the Godhead, while the chariot, while the uh, you know, the the car in which he was traveling suddenly. Uh, the wheel came out and 
he saw the Godhead emerge and holding the reins and he's immortalized in his poem, The Godhead. So many of these experiences came uh, while he was in the middle of life and he, he continued with those experiences, his work. So uh, he brings something new also to the Hindu thought. Uh, for ex- instance, in Hindu thought, we speak about evolution. It is a mistake to believe that Shobindo borrowed the idea of evolution from Darwin. It's a gross error that is made by many modern historians uh, because Shobindo himself writes that the theory of evolution is already there in Indian thought. For instance, in Vedanta, there is the whole idea of evolution of the soul. That's how it goes through different forms. The whole story of transmigration is about evolution. Till it reaches a human human form and in the human form, it's ready to evolve further. Then he speaks about the 84 lakh yonis which are spoken of in Tantra. And they are again directly about the evolution. Then about the 10 avatars, the parable of the 10 avatars, which is about not only the evolution of consciousness, but also the evolution of form. So the ideas are there, but it stops at some point of time. And Shubhinda brings these thoughts to these ideas and experiences to its ultimate fullness, that, well, evolution is not going to stop with man, but will go beyond man. Now, in Vedanta also, there is talk of going beyond man, but no more in a body. The human body is the ultimate culmination of uh, creation and after the human body, all that the soul needs to do is to arrive at its fullness through meditation, through contemplation, through various kinds of yogic practices and uh, it can get out of this human body and the cycle of birth and death into uh, union with the divine and be done with this life. But Sri says, no, uh, human uh, beings or human body is not the ultimate. Uh, there is a greater destiny bequeathed to earth and man. And that destiny will fulfill itself in the form of a new being, a new creation here upon earth. Now this we don't find in a Hindu thought or for that matter any thought. So there is something very new, very powerful. And as we were saying in the, in the morning session, it brings a new hope for all of us that uh, the aim of the yoga is not just an individual salvation or nirvana or the beyond, but to bring that beyond here upon earth. At the same time, we see that Sri also pays um, homage to certain other lines of spiritual experiences because it will be an error to believe, uh, well, though India is a land which has been the guardian of the Sanatan Dharma, it has experimented along many, many, many lines of spiritual experiences. Mind-boggling. I mean, it is the laboratory of spiritual experiences, if one wants to put it like that. At the same time, spiritual experiences, the spiritual consciousness, uh, the mystery of the divine has been felt and touched lives in various parts of the world, in various cultures, past and present. And it's going to be like that, because the divine is not confined to one geographical unit. Even though he may choose that particular place for his work in a major way. Yet his work has continued. And here in Shurabindo, interestingly, includes Christ in the avatars. Among the ten avatars, he speaks about Christ. He also speaks about the four major events in the history of earth, where he says, one is the siege of Troy, the Trojan War. And the second one is crucifixion of Christ, which uh, humanized Europe. The third is Krishna's exile from Vrindavan, which created devotional religion. Before that, we had Jnana and uh, 
but bhakti came later on. And the fourth is the colloquy on the battlefield of the Kurukshetra, which is the Gita, which will yet liberate humanity. He also um, uh, speaks of Christ and there is a direct reference to Christ in Savitri. Now we see Savitri itself. The story is a Vedic story. It's from the Vedic age. And which Shubhindra is regarded as his magnum opus. Shubhindra regarded the Ramayana and the Mahabharata and Vyasa and Valmiki and of course also Kalidas as ranking among the greatest of poets which have ever been born. They are seer poets. But he also includes Homer as a seer poet. He, uh, he has written a hundred, nearly a hundred page poem which covers that aspect of the Trojan War which Homer has not spoken of. Uh, that period when they are waiting and when the you know Homer has written about the war and of course the great journey of Odysseus uh, as he returns back after the war, the, you know his meeting of Telemachus and then finally uh, how the Greek tribes come together. It's a very interesting story. But Shurabindu writes about that period which Homer doesn't speak about it. It's amazing. It's so real. It brings the whole war so near to us. The whole story so near to us. So there are many aspects, uh, many strands of past spiritual experiences which Shurabindu has taken into himself. We also know that among the four major darshan days in the ashram, uh, 15th August, Shurabindu's birthday, uh, 21st February, the mother's birthday, 24th April, the mother's final arrival to Pondicherry and the fourth one, 24th November. Now, 24th November is known as the Siddhi day in the ashram and it's uh, very well known that, uh, you know, what the mother and Shurabindu and many disciples had to say about it. The mother says it was the day when Sri Krishna's personality, the avatar, that formation of the supreme from the past, fused into Shurabindu's physical consciousness. So it's something very directly, and this was in 1926, after which the whole, um, uh, the, the serious effort to bring the supermind down to earth started. So we can see that there are many aspects of both Vedantic and the thoughts of Tantra, experiences of Tantra in Shobindo's yoga. But at the same time, Shobindo has not uh, um, taken up Hinduism in a very narrow and limited way. But the true Hinduism, the Sanatan Dharma, because of which many streams of spiritual experiences came to India and in an effort to conquer India were conquered by its spiritual impulse. It's so strange and interesting that we see the Greeks, the Portuguese, the, the Europeans and many others who came to India were eventually conquered by India's spiritual thought. And while they were, they looted India and it's a fact and I, I mean... Um, uh, I make no bones about this fact. India, while they were carrying the loot, also gave them, in addition, a gift. And it was the gift of Indian spirituality. It is amazing that, you know, while uh, India's physical wealth was being plumaged and plundered, uh, literally, if I see India as a goddess, she would say, wait, 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 you are not yet carrying the real treasure which I can give you. <laughs> All this you may take. But, you know, I have a treasure which can rebuild the entire India. And again, you know, what is it that you are holding back? Wait, 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 take it from me. And it is the Gita, the Vedas, which went, and now we know how all over the world, um, this has come up in a big way. It doesn't matter. India never wanted that people should 
acknowledge it as traditional Vedanta or call it in this way or this religion or that religion because it has always transcended religions. In, in India, they, it was not, in fact, the word Hindu is first used by Alexander simply because he, uh, he had to give a name for the civilization which grew around Indus Valley and he called it Hindus which became Hindus. And uh, one of the yogis, Kalanos, who was Kalyan actually, who was taken by Alexander all the way to Greece, um, uh, it's, he learned from, from this yogi. So this has been, uh, to that extent, no doubt, Shurabindo has spoken very, very highly, both of India and the spiritual experiments here, the manifestation of the divine, but he also includes the Buddha and Christ in that scheme of things, speaks about Christ, as I was saying, there are passages very directly in Savitri, at one place he says that when the divine comes upon earth, humanity gives the cross in payment for the crown. And then he says that the crowd jeer at him, two thieves slain by his side, and Gethseman and Calvary are his lot. And he speaks about directly about the divine advent upon earth. So it's so obvious that he is referring to Christ as the advent. Even about the mother of seven sorrows, there are several references to um, Christian mysticism in Savitri and many other places in Shurabindu's writings. So he represents, if I may say so, the highest synthesis that has been uh, possible till now in spiritual uh, thought and lines of experiences. He, Shurabindu, in his... Um, Yoga synthesizes both Indian line of spiritual experiences and the Western line of spiritual experiences. He synthesizes within Indian thought Vedanta and Tantra, which have we know how they have fought with each other. He also synthesizes the diverse lines, you know, people, the Vaishnavites and Saivites have fought. And Shrubindu in one of his poems so beautifully mentions, but Shiva and Krishna are a single God. And there are several places where he speaks about Shiva and he speaks about Krishna and brings their truth so beautifully. I mean, it's, it's really to be studied. And um, probably even if one were to write many, many books on this subject, it won't be enough uh, on Shurabindu's life. We also see a similar phenomena taking place in mother's life. Born in the Western context in France uh, from a completely positivist background, extremely materialistic background where she was taught literally not to believe in God. Just like uh, Shurabindu was kept away from Indian culture, the, mother, the mother's physical parents, uh, particularly her physical mother, wanted her to be totally grounded on earth. That matter alone is real. What you can touch, see, hear and feel is real. And she says, it was thanks to this that I would... Uh, not be content with any experience which I experienced only in, in inside. I had to see it completely objectively on the surface, on, on the very matter. And that's why she was so beautifully prepared for the yoga of the body and yoga of the cells. At the same time, the mothers uh, delving into the occult, she brings up the best of Egyptian traditions and that kind of occultism through Theon. Um, and subsequently, uh, her spiritual journey also begins with a copy of the Gita which she is given. It's a very bad translation, she says, in French, which was given by Yashoda Ma's husband. I think many people may not know. That means Krishna Prem's guru, her husband. And the mother reads it and she realizes the truth of the Gita. 
as Krishna as the imminent divine within and Arjuna as the human soul. And she realizes the truth of the Gita within a few months. She also read and translated the Ish Upanishad, uh, Bhakti Sutras of Narad, even before coming to India. Very few people are probably aware, but in her own handwriting, some portions of the Ish Upanishads exist in Sanskrit. So she also had uh, interesting experiences. We know the, her experiences with Buddha or Sakyamuni. And most of all, she used to meet many saints and yogis in her body sleep as she would come out of the body. And they would come and give her instructions. Now one of them, with one of these beings, she had a very uh, interesting relation. And uh, he became like a permanent um, person coming to her and she called him Krishna. And she knew nothing about Indian tradition, that there is someone like Krishna. This is right much earlier, this used to come. But when she went and stood before Sri Aurobindo for the first time, she realized the Krishna of her visions and she says, I used to earlier think it's some Greek god because the dhoti was like this. <laughs> it's an apparition. But she would call Krishna. And yet when she stood before Sri Aurobindo, she recognized in him the Krishna of her visions. And therefore she wrote this beautiful little passage from her prayers and meditation, her diary of spiritual diary, record of spiritual diary, where she notes, He whom we saw yesterday is here upon earth. His presence is enough to prove that a day will come when all this darkness will be transformed into light. Just his presence is enough. So she saw in him the same Krishna whom she would. And then later on, while in the ashram context, there are so many relations that the mother formed with the God. She would say that. That the Trimurtis would come, the goddesses would come. Uh, how she would walk with Krishna. There are many interesting stories of the mother with these gods and goddesses. Durga would come and uh, with a particular devotee of Durga, uh, whom she didn't know is a devotee of Durga, but uh, after seeing, he goes away and the mother asked uh, uh, someone who would accompany her that, is she a devotee of Durga? Yes, mother. Oh, no wonder. Durga came with her. So when she came, Durga came with her. And uh, she would talk about Shiva and she would describe him that he's tall like he's shown majestic with that red gold color. And uh, he told her that, look, I, I would help you in this work which you are doing, but I won't take a human body. So it's exactly what is mentioned even in Shiva's legends, that he won't take a human body. And uh, he says, but I would help. In what? Destruction of the ego, physical ego. And Sri says, no, not yet. And the whole process stopped. And then she would say that for uh, many days, weeks, months, she would walk with Krishna. And it was so delightful. And then after a while, Sri Aurobindo began to walk with her. And then she says, ah, this is blissful. I, I don't want to do anything else. And then the moment Sri Aurobindo knew this, he disappeared. And <laughs> she says, after that, I said, no, now I want to walk only with Supreme in his own form. Nobody else. <laughs> and then she says, first Krishna, then Shurabindo, then the Supreme. She had visions of the Supreme. She says, more grand than the vision of the Gita. So actually we cannot really cabin them into any particular line of thought. In fact, 
no true mystic can even ever keep in. So when the mother spoke about going beyond religion, it's also true that the mother said that the age of religions is over. All the religions, and whether we like it or not, we don't have to do anything. The children are not going to accept and adopt. It's just a question of time. And why? Because religions had their beauty and grace, but religions also had their flip side. And over a period of time, the religions were lost in their externalities, in the rituals, in strict following of traditions. And the core of religions, which is spiritual, that began to get lost. So it had to be destroyed. In India we have the legend of Sati. Sati's body is destroyed by Vishnu. And who is Sati? She is none else but the Divine Mother's incarnation. And yet her body is destroyed. We also have the story of Chinnamasta, where the Divine Mother destroys her own, beheads herself. So basically it's that outer forms have to be destroyed so that the inner truths can be released and given a new form more appropriate to the age. So religions were very helpful to mankind up till a certain point. But beyond a point, they have become counterproductive. And we can see that in the last, uh, almost, uh, I think the youngest religion is Islam. And uh, perhaps no new religions have been born, uh, or perhaps Sikhism if you want to put it. But subsequently, for many, many centuries, there have been no new religions. Mankind is being prepared for something else. And we have to go beyond religions. The other part is when we talk about going beyond religions, the mother spoke about going beyond the domain of the gods. That in religions, even the most greatest experiences, the dazzling splendors that humanity experienced or the mystics experienced, were the splendors of the overmind consciousness. And now humanity is ready to exceed it and go beyond it. So it is also true that they said that the age of religions is over. And religions, no religion, um, Eastern or Western, can fully satisfy the growing spiritual impulse of mankind. It has to go beyond it if it has to survive and find its true solution. So this is, in a nutshell, this uh, question about um, Shurabindo and Hinduism. Each one can derive uh, one's own conclusions from this. My own take is that, yes, Shurabindo did see in Hinduism... Uh, a great potential for the future life of humanity. He also saw in the core of Hindu thought something very beautiful, still alive and real, uh, which uh, is waiting for a new form and a new body and he gave that to it. At the same time, he also saw in other past spiritual efforts, um, Christ's advent for example and Buddha for instance, uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful things which are um, which he t- took up for the future life of humanity. And even in Sikhism, for instance, he saw the first effort to form a spiritualized society. He speaks about it. And he says that why it failed, that also reasons he gave. So this is a very interesting area and subject. And at the same time, he left human beings free. So it's not that uh, though in the ashram context we'll see that certain forms of practices which may look like Hindu, for instance, you know, people go and the samadhis arranged with beautiful flowers and there are incense sticks, etc. But uh, nobody is compelled to follow any particular ritual. It's a very beautiful thing about the ashram. That's not that you have to accept, uh, you know, this god or that god or this method of practice or that way. It doesn't matter. The mother repeatedly insisted on sincerity, 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 aspiration, 
rejection, surrender, these are the core elements, the core values. The core values are not belief in gods and goddesses. The core values are not subscribing to this or that philosophy or line of thought. In fact, they are obstacles. So this also they made it very clear that when we are tied to one kind of spiritual experience or one framework or structure of, uh, you know, which is born out of spiritual experience, then we limit the play of the infinite within us. That's what we were speaking of in the morning, that the, it is the way of the infinite Shakti. And we cannot decide or uh, say that this is how the divine should act and not this way. He may reveal himself in so many ways. Uh, he will reveal himself even to the materialist if there is genuineness. He may withhold himself from the eyes of a very religious man. And in Indian thought we have such stories. Uh, Ravana was very religious. At one place Shurabindu says some asuras are very li- religious. <laughs> so simply by going to a temple and how many times one goes to the temple or a mosque or a church, one cannot decide how spiritual a person is. So he speaks about grace coming to St. Augustine and Jagai and Maghai of infamous fame in Chaitanya's example. So in spirituality there is a very wide, free and plastic approach because we are approaching a consciousness that is infinite and while certain frameworks again are relevant to us at a certain stage of evolution. But it will be a great error to impose these frameworks on others or believe these are the only frameworks or even for oneself to stick to that framework. So there are people who start with their belief in Krishna or Christ and turn towards Shurabindo. It's fine. Nobody is there to tell that this is right or wrong or no, you should not think. This is a question of growth. When the time comes, we grow into a different consciousness. We discover who they are. So there is also a third question whether they are avatar or not. It's a question which is, well, it's um, ideally it's a question which should be answered by Shurabindo and the mother into the consciousness of each of one of us. Of course, the mother spoke of Shurabindo as the avatar and Shurabindo spoke of the mother as the divine mother herself who has taken a human body and they are avatars in that sense. But if we turn it into a dogma to be believed by all, it will become like another religious movement. Each one, it will be a revelation. There is a very beautiful line in Ramayana, So janahi jin ram janahi. He whom the divine chooses to reveal himself, that person understands. So it doesn't matter. It's not that we cannot follow the yoga unless we accept the supremacy of Shurabindo as the avatar. It's not necessary. Shurabindo, if that is necessary for the relationship, will reveal himself. Somebody may see in him the master. Somebody may see in him as a guru. Someone may see in him as a great thinker and just feel an admiration. Well, he would accept all kinds of approaches. But of course, it is also true that ultimately, if we really want to give our 100% and derive the 100% out of yoga, then it's best to, to use the phrase of the Gita, in Bharata. In all ways, in every way of our being and becoming, we should surrender to them. But this obviously is a special grace. It is not something which can be told and imposed. And it's something which grows upon us. It's not, I mean, I remember my parents at, at you know, they used to be very uh, not happy that I have found a, a God in Pondicherry. 
because india is full of gods and they were also very traditional with rama and krishna and very very like bhakti so they said why did you have to find a god all the way in pondicherry because the problem was my holidays you know in air force used to be eaten up so i would go all the way to pondicherry they wanted me to come to them so they would have been happy if there was a god nearby some guru nearby and it was very difficult to explain to them so at times i had to simply tell a lie um, i use the word spiritual lie so i would say i am not getting leave to come and go to pondicherry and thank god there were no mobiles so i would write four letters because they expected a letter a week so four letters dated four different dates leave it with my friend dates written behind in pencil to rub off and post it and friends were very nice and accommodating and the you know the play continued but then a day came when uh, you know my parents could not you know coming for a very traditional uh, hindu thought they would say it's all right but i don't understand you know um, their issue was that in the ashram in dining room do they put onions because i was from a background where onion and garlic meant that you are gone <laughs> destroyed the boys become corrupt uh, so uh, i said uh, you can make out onion or not you take it and see i didn't have the courage to tell them yes there is onion and they took it and my mom who was so sensitive to picking up onion couldn't pick up and she enjoyed the dining room food so i just thanked the mother quietly so it started like that that they liked the dining room food you know before accepting mother and she and then you know uh, once or twice i saw that morning 5 o'clock when i would wake up my father used to wake up at 3 o'clock take his bath do his puja and everything so by 5 he was all ready so he would be quietly reading books of mother sitting in my meditation hall but the moment he would see me he would quickly keep it and come out and as you know as if <laughs> so <laughs> you know by the way i was reading it i said it's okay by the way you read it and how they turned he had such a beautiful experience at matri mandir and my mother towards the end you know uh, all her malas she was a tapaswini so she would do all kinds of malas from shiva and krishna and rama and you know um, ultimately her first meal would be at 12 noon uh, after all this puja but towards the end you know she would tell me that you know whose mala i am doing no mummy i knew i was wanting to hear from her own mouth you know i am calling mother I, i used to feel very touched inside and this happened at an old age but in the beginning when i would try vociferously to, to to tell them you don't know mummy what mother and shurbindo are they would say no 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 you know i can see you are now misguided after studying in fmc puna you have become very westernized they thought that it's some kind of westernized <laughs> you know line of thought and it's very difficult to tell people read the synthesis or you know another issue many people had oh she was a french lady as if god cannot be french i mean it's strange particularly in the indian context where god could be fish and he could be uh, you know kachua tortoise i mean if he could be fish and turtle french are definitely better <laughs> i mean <laughs> by all standards at least humans so what if a little arrogant humans but humans with a lovely language french is a beautiful language you know for that matter a beautiful language with Uh, such a poetic melody in it so you know these uh, very orthodox and conventional mindset is really uh, not ready for any kind of yoga leave aside shurabindo's yoga it means we are still too much confined at the same time there are within these confines there is some spark 
which lights up. Because uh, any sincere person, when we read uh, the various philosophies and go to the depths, because many of these things we have just adopted and accepted because we were born in it. And if we really have the quest, then we cannot really be satisfied. No uh, Indian, at least I was not satisfied with the traditional theory of karma and, uh, you know, where you have papa and punya. And uh, similarly, I'm sure uh, no, um, you know, Christian who looks deep uh, into his own religion would ever be satisfied with God damning somebody into eternal hell where even God can't reach. You know, it would be very difficult to accept these kind of propositions or, uh, you know, any follower of Buddha uh, to say that Buddha's anatman means there is no divinity when he is speaking about the permanent. So, you know, if we go deep, most of us have not really read. This is the unfortunate part. And this applies even in Shurabindo's uh, yoga. Uh, very often I hear people saying that, you know, what is the method? What is the method of practice? Shurabindo himself has written there is no method and all methods. Now, you know, how can I improvise upon that? Nobody can improvise. He has said the Divine Mother is doing the yoga. Categorically, he has made it very, very, very clear. So we don't have to do yoga. The yoga is done by the Divine Mother in us. So what do we do? Well, we have to surrender and open to the Divine Mother. That requires tremendous courage, faith and inner psychological attitudes which we have to acquire. This is the whole, and how do we acquire these psychological attitudes? Not by reading a book, okay, I need, I, I need to have balance, for instance. So, okay, um, balance, balance, no. We will meet in life enough situations where we have to adopt either this attitude or you, the other attitude. And that's how this yoga proceeds. So, Sri also says that the process of this yoga, um, she takes, the infinite Shakti takes up every part of her nature. At the end, she wants to create a perfect perfection. So it's not enough that we have illuminations in the mind and a darkness in the heart. That we are, you know, great intellectuals who can deliberate and debate on the life divine and be very scholarly, but this is all dry, empty, uh, void. We turn Shurabindo into a very impersonal something. No, it's not enough. At the same time, it's not enough that we are very devotional and say, yes, yes, I know, I sing nice bhajans to Shurabindo, but there is no illumination here. This too must open up, as we said, the medha being offered uh, as sacrifice into the fire of aspiration. At the same time, it's not enough that we just follow the traditional bhakti and the traditional opening of the mind towards jnana. We must also become his servants, his instruments, his channels for his work in the world. So even the life impulse, the life energy, the will has to align itself to the Divine Mother by surrendering itself. How do we surrender the will? Very simple. All the time this will is usurped by the ego. And from here we get the mantra of the divine life. Our will is given to the ego and ego uses it. And the will is accepted to enter the womb of the ego so that eventually it will blast it off. But nevertheless for a long time I, we say, I want to do this, I want to do that. So we don't even care to see what the divine wants in us. So when we start like that, I want this and things don't happen according to the way we want. Now we can take one of the two attitudes. One that the divine doesn't exist. Easy. Finished. No more problems. <laughs> but the second we can take, perhaps what I want is one thing and the divine wants something else. This is the second attitude. Now the moment we take the second attitude, automatically we are beginning to align our individual will to the divine will. Very simple. So we start with 
what is called in the Gita is Nishkam Karma. If we perfect this approach, we start by what we want, is natural, valid, and we offer it to the divine. When things go our way, thank the divine. When things don't go our way, thank him even more profusely. That means he has seriously taken up the yoga. There is a very nice story about someone, you know, uh, in Odisha who asked uh, an Odia Sadhak, Prapatiji, uh, who used to be with Babaji Maharaj, some of us may know, may not know. And, uh, you know, he asked uh, Prapatiji, Prapatiji, you know, in my life everything is going good, so nice, so nice. And he said, maybe the Divine Mother has not yet looked at you. You know, and he was shocked. What does it mean? <laughs> it, 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 it is like that. It's a fact that, you know, uh, there are many things in life uh, which don't go our way. Most of us at that point of time take this old attitude. My way or no way. Even God must follow my way. Otherwise he is no more God. But we can take another attitude. My way is not necessarily the best way. However highly I may think of myself. I may be a Harvard graduate. I may be you know, a damn good professional in whatever field. I may be an authority on Vedanta and Upanishads. And yet I may not know what the divine will is. Whereas Ramakrishna who knew nothing in terms of external in externalities. And yet Vedanta flowed through his lips. So beautifully he had seized the core. I mean if one reads the gospel, Shobindo has spoken so highly of Sri Ramakrishna himself. One of the things that he got from when he came to Pondicherry, very few people may know about this. I do not know if some people are aware or not. That two things that Shurabindo brought with him to Pondicherry. One is the mitti, the mud of Dakshineshwar, where Sri Ramakrishna did his tapasya. And also he had a photograph of Sri Ramakrishna. Very few people may know. A photograph which he eventually passed on to Champaklalji. He wanted to have that, you know, there is a dancing photograph of Sri Ramakrishna. Now, you know, here is Shurabindo, not only a Cambridge graduate. But somebody who has mastered all this, both Indian thought, Western thought, recognizes in Sri Ramakrishna a master of great merit. It's not a joke. So it's one thing to read all these scriptures, quite another to walk the path. So life offers to us all the time, as Hasung Bhai was rightly saying, it's a 24-7 path. But it doesn't mean that we remain stiff and taut. The divine laughs, as we read in the morning, and we laugh with the divine. We can take a walk and walk with the divine. It's so, so, so true. When we are walking alone, we can walk with the divine. And it's such a joy and delight just to feel his presence and his company. We may not see him, but he sees us. There is a beautiful story of a blind saint who came for Sri Aurobindo's darshan. He had his own following, Swami Sharnanand. And somebody asked him, you are going for darshan of Sri Aurobindo, but Shurabindu will not speak anything and you can't see anything. So what kind of darshan is this? So he gave a wonderful reply. He said, all of you have eyes, but how much can you see? Lovely answer. I would repeat it in Hindi, the way he said. If you had eyes, how much would you see? I am not going so that I may see Mother and Shurabindu. I am going so that their gaze falls upon me. This is the attitude of the sadhak. This is surrender. 
and every moment life gives us countless opportunity to align our will then once we start this next we begin to say all this time i am following my agenda and the divine seems to be sometimes a spoil sport and sometimes seems to okay so after a while we say okay let me know what the divine agenda is what the divine plan is for me so that is the next step of aligning the will first is we renounce the fruits second is we renounce the work and wait for the divine's inspiration after many many years of serving the mother and shirbindo with an unflinching faith and devotion champak lal ji prays to the mother mother all these years i have served you the way i wanted to serve you grant me that i may serve you henceforth the way you want me to serve you what a lovely prayer is this so this is how we align this will which has deviated and there is a and how this gets aligned more and more as the secret soul the psychic being comes out there is a very beautiful line in in the vedas rigvedas full of hymns to the agni where it is said uh, the rishi invokes the agni and says it will make the crooked straight now what is this crooked the will which is deviated by the ego ego deviates the will just like water distorts the straight stick and it gives it a bend it bends it and it's a illusion but it bends it so similarly our consciousness deviates the divine will it deviates the divine love it deviates the divine force the mother says that my child you do not know you know when people ask that mother so much money is being wasted in the ashram she says you are worried about money you don't know how much consciousness is wasted here and how it is wasted through gossiping chit chatting useless things he says i am pouring 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 all the energy that is given to you for transformation you throw it away but she is a mother she continues to pour there is no end to her pouring there is no end to her uh, wasting so this is how the heart begins to get aligned where we begin to love not only the mother here but the mother in the saint the mother in the wicked the mother in the uh, vile the mother in the fallen the mother in the lowly all distinctions we make in normal life of high and low this religion that religion this caste that caste this language that culture they vanish because are we not all children of the same divine mother so automatically when we practice how is it to be practiced by holding this idea in the mind this is meditation meditation is not closing the eyes and sitting bolt straight with elbows straight and you know spine curved according to anatomical precision that is exercise not meditation meditation is to let this idea fill the brain that all is in the divine the divine is in all and all is the divine we read yesterday this morning mother saying think about it she says the divine is everywhere you have only to think about it and then from the brain like a tremendous powerful energy it begins to spread because when we hold it's very simple law of physics when we hold an idea with a tremendous intensity swami vivekananda spoke about it take up one idea contemplate upon it let it enter your fibers your veins so after a while 
the energy that is generated by this one idea it can be any idea it can be simply ma 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 and this idea begins to generate tremendous energy of a very different kind people have headaches they start feeling in the beginning when they go to the ashram they say oh i am feeling very sleepy and they blame it on pondicherry weather but the real blame is uh, you know <laughs> not blame it is the divine mother's lap so then this idea begins to spread into our eyes giving our new sight spreads into our ears giving us a new hearing inner hearing of the vedas that which the inspired seers heard the seven rivers begin to flow into our speech and throat how beautifully shirvind says thy golden the golden light came down into my brain the gray rooms of my mind sun touched became a bright reply to wisdom's occult flame occult plane a calm illumination and a flame this is how this brain becomes light and then he says the golden light came down into my throat and all my speech is now a song divine see how shivendra says very very powerfully an experience which passingly um, you know there are glimpses of this kabir says he says jo bolu so ved kahawa jahan pag dharu so tirath whatever i speak is veda it's not vedas that i speak what i speak is veda it's not holy places i go but wherever i step that is a holy place jo bolu so ved kahawa jahan pag dharu so tirath shobindu says the golden light came down into my throat and all my speech is now a song divine a pain song of the my single note my words are drunk with the immortal's wine the golden light came down into my heart smiting my life with thy eternity all these barriers hearts narrow me my family my immediate ones my near ones my dear ones they vanish before the creed without limits cult without limits that's how shobindo uh, the mother prays how oh god of love how i cherish for thee a cult without limits the golden light came down into my heart smiting my life with thy eternity now has it grown a temple where only thou art this is the temple instead of visiting all these temples and cleaning there and doing things this is the temple to be kept clean now has it grown a temple where only thou art and all my passions flow towards only thee this is aligning the passions our passions our energies are in 101 works slowly we have to win their allegiance and turn them towards the divine mother towards her work her service in whatever way doesn't matter as a squirrel fair enough as a monkey we don't know how to serve she will teach us we don't know what to do she will give us the work none is useless in her eyes none small in her vision for her all children are equal and she gives her love equally to all and then the very body the golden light came down into my feet my earth 
is now thy play field and thy seat to offer this very body to the divine to make it his play field krida sthali kridangan how beautiful life would become so this is how the alignment comes we have to win back these energies which are given to the ego usurped by the ego and turn them towards the divine so there will be a period when first they will undergo purification straight away the divine is not going to say okay fine from today you are my stamped branded instrument <laughs> we would collapse with the ego of the instrument more dangerous than the ordinary egos ah i am an instrument of god afterwards god is forgotten i am an instrument <laughs> ego comes in in a different way from the back door you know you are an instrument of god indispensable instrument gone ego has many masks and it it can enter in thousand ways so to surrender more and more every time so these energies when we turn towards the divine mother they have to go through a process of purification and purification sometimes takes long sometimes it's painful painful to the ego that's why we have to go through the nights of the soul as the christian mystic spoke about it during these nights what is happening the poison is being eliminated but we may wonder where is the face of the divine mother she has thrown us into the red heat of hell no she is waiting to forge the steel out of the raw iron that we are it takes time through life journey every experience will turn into a catalyst to go towards the divine this is the third process of this yoga that each and every experience however small or big is used by the divine artificer to mold us into the divine nature very often the smallest experiences are the one where we are more likely to stumble imagine somebody going on a scooter i don't know here we don't see scooters uh, well in india it's a common sight to go on scooter and youngsters go high speed you know it's easy to avoid the big mountains you know okay yeah this is a big stone so you take a turn but where do we stumble on the little stones which are lying on the path unseen what are these little stones somebody suddenly says oh it's okay ma but you know what you're not looking good little stone i think you are growing old or something else something which you don't like something unpleasant many such experiences someone says harsh words to us and always in this world there are people who say harsh words unkind words and we should pity them because you know it means how much harshness and bitterness they are carrying inside them so whenever i meet such a person i really pity i pray that you know god you know if a snake loves what he will do he will only spit venom even his love is venomous so poor fellow has spit a small portion outside you know when a snake bites it's a fact that only this medical knowledge but applies to yoga see how everything is yoga <laughs> all life is yoga when snakes bite one of the things we have to tell the person that look only 1/10th of the venom is injected which is a fact most often snakes inject only 1/10th of the venom that's why you know there is good hope for everybody but it also means 9/10th they have swallowed inside poor fellows so people who are perpetually angry bitter and you know 
caustic about life, about others, about everything. How much poison they are carrying inside? So Christ had such a fine analysis. So no wonder he said, forgive them. <laughs> they don't know what they are doing. And every time we allow our speech to be carried away by such things, we are in fact only perpetuating this poison within us. So all these are wonderful opportunities for yoga, where we have to win their allegiance from the lower nature, the lower network of forces, and put them in tune with the higher nature. Then and only then can we have a free play of the Divine Mother in our life. It's not like that I'll remain in the lower network of forces. And then suddenly, you know, every time I call, the Divine Mother should be there at my disposal to do, save me from everything. She comes, but that is her. Well, to use the word greatness is to belittle, but yes, that's her greatness, her love. But something I must do from my side. If I remain all the time tied to these outposts of nature, whose names are lust and anger and greed and jealousies and fears. And I keep saying that, no, 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 I, you know, mother should do something, mother should do that, mother should protect me, mother should do. It doesn't work out like that. They have to be rejected from nature. And she will help us to reject, but we have to be sincere about it. So, I don't know, I'm uh, feeling a bit too inspired, but it's... uh, uh, we should stop because <laughs> we'll continue the inspiration subsequently in the session tomorrow.